Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm your host Diane Gibbs and today I am joined by a branding guru. You guys are going to just be amazed by David Breyer. He has worked for brands like from Revlon, Rolling Stone, Estee Lauder, um, bakeries, uh, amazing people, amazing companies, um, all different size companies. And then if you've heard of Shark Tank, which I think comes on on Fridays, I think it's on NBC. Damon Johns is one of the um, investors. ABC, sorry. Um, he um, he knows David and he says he's amazing at branding. And so we're going to go into his mind and see what has made him so successful over all these years to be able to make brands be at the top of their game and he's done it with all kinds of companies so i'm really excited um just if you're new to spreecast here's what happens uh david and i are on screen you can actually um, type in questions over there in the chat and they'll come up and i'll try to pull them up um, you can also type in the screen queue, but there's a ton of stuff in the screen queue today, so I might not get to them. So it's probably better to get it in the chat. If you're joining us on the replay, we, we're we here every Wednesday at 2.30 Eastern, um, 11.30 Pacific. So join us live on some Wednesday. It only take four weeks off the whole year, and they're spread out like once a quarter. So I'm on for a while. So David, let's get on to you. And can you tell us, give us a little bit of your background and what drew you into being such a branding, you know, I don't know, amazement. So can you give us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Well, uh, basically, I was born in Brooklyn at a very young age. Just want to make sure everyone's paying attention. And, <laughs> um, and basically, um, I was actually an artist when I was very when I was young I mean literally from the point that I could hold a pencil I always was drawing and and I came through the ranks as an artist and I even uh, when I was in my teens I was doing fine art paintings because I was very much inspired by Michelangelo and Rembrandt and Da Vinci and all of that so that was where my where my interests lay at the time uh, and it was in my last year of my last semester of college that I saw a magazine by, I don't, I, if you're, you're, some of your listeners may be too young to know Herb Blue Ballon, but the great Herb Blue Ballon was uh, a brilliant, brilliant designer, um, um, a real legend to many who came up through the ranks of design in the 60s and 70s and the 80s, and, and uh, it was somewhere, I think, in the 80s or late 80s that he actually passed away. But anyway, seeing a magazine of his that blew me away, I, I saw things done with design that I had never, ever seen nor experienced before. I never had anything actually have that much impact on me in this publication I was reading. I was going, there was not a detail that was left to chance. There wasn't a, a rag of type. There was nothing. Everything was very, very deliberate and, and just, just, it was like a finely composed piece of music. You know, there, if you take a greatly composed piece of composition, it's not like, oh, that instrument, that can kind of just do its thing. No, the, everything is composed when you're dealing with a symphony in an orchestra. Um, so with that, that was what I literally changed at that point. I decided I was going to be a designer and specialize. I started with regard to logos. Um, and with that specialization, working uh, freelance with ad agencies, you know, top agencies in New York and design firms and, and the likes of Revlon and Estee Lauder, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I started to hone those skills. Then that evolved where I started to look, you know, 
that's one piece. I, there's more to this. There's more that it actually becomes the experience of what is a brand. Um, and and you know, at that point, my coming through the ranks of logo design, that's where I started. Uh, and it was logos. And then I started to see other pieces, the, the language, and how does it sound, and what's the personality. And I started to see all these different layers of components that together they worked to create a brand. Um, sometimes when I'm talking and describing what a brand is to people who are less familiar, I might say a brand in truth is really, it's kind of like an orchestra in that I can have one terrific world-class violinist over in that corner. I can have an incredible cellist over there. I can have a, a gentleman that plays timpani over here. And I can maybe have somebody that plays uh, some wind instrument of some sort over there. Well, that doesn't make an incredible musical experience. That doesn't make an actual orchestra in terms of sound and what I come to experience as a beautiful piece of music. Only when they actually all have the same charts and actually a conductor who establishes what is the tempo, you know, you get these things and all of a sudden now these random bits of, of potential have come together and now become something that you and I would call music. And that is how I kind of compare, talk about a brand. Because you have the words, how does the brand talk? You have the design, how does it look? You have the imagery. You know, unfortunately, we're at a point in, in this industry where because of the, uh, because everyone has a computer on their desktop and people can just Google this and Google that and everyone's picking the same old stupid smiling faces of people just smiling at anything that they're looking at. Could be a coffin, could be a, a computer, it could be whatever. Everyone's happily looking at something or other. <laughs> all looks very stupid, but at the same time, it all looks very homogenized. That's why so many brands look so similar to one another because they're not carving out their voice. Like, what should we look like? Not what's easiest to come up in the top uh, page one of Google. That's not the thing that should determine what we look like. So these are, these are some of the components. So you have received a, some awards for your slide share presentations that you've had. You have some that are over a half, or almost half a million, or over a half a million. Some you've almost a hundred thousand slide share views. They're super creative, and they are linked over there in the chat. And I'll pull them up um, when we get to those. But can you want to talk a little bit about that and how just how these making these, and these are just free things that you've put out there, a lot of tips. How have they influenced your business and changed your business and your brand? Well, I can't, I can't even walk down the street with being, without being asked for autographs. It's unbelievable what's occurred. <laughs> I got to tell you, Diane. Um, seriously, the, I always like sharing, uh, and, and what, one of the ways that this started with SlideShare was I had taken some presentations that I had done. Uh, the most popular one is actually the, in total, it's over 512,000 views. Over half a million views uh, have been with regard to the various uh, SlideShare presentations that I have up. The highest one has about 127,000 views. And I was asked by the American Marketing Association in Minneapolis to do a presentation. At the time, Everybody was doing, everybody was talking about social media. That was the craze. And I'm very rebellious. I, to me, if everybody's doing X, why am, gonna, why am I going to just also do X or do my version of X so that 
then they can now choose. Uh, that that just becomes a bunch of sameness. It's all similar options. And plus, I also realized that people were jumping into the social media, uh, you know, sauna, uh, spa, you know, or hot tub. The social media hot tub. When they were jumping into that little bad boy, um, many of them were jumping prematurely, meaning that they didn't work out what they actually might want to say. What are you talking about? What's your personality? So I, being naturally rebellious, went the other way. I said, good. I'm going to create something about what you should actually talk about and how to arrive at creating a brand that means something so that you have something to share because social media is only a channel. It's not right. an answer. It's not, it's not going to do crap for you, anything more than a fax machine did in the 70s and anything more than, frankly, the Internet. When the Internet first came out, how many disgustingly horrible websites were there? All, about 98% of them were. They were horrible. It's just like, oh, it's a channel of communication. It's going to do everything for us. It's going to make us rich. It's going to do sales. No, no, they're going to do crap. If you don't have something to say, it's not going to do anything for you. So right. that was my thing. So, I, so that was my presentation where I put together what's killing your brand and how to kill it before it kills you. And that started to take off. And, and well, anyway, so I did that. And then I said, you know, I'm going to upload that and share that after I did the presentation. I was going to, I put it up on SlideShare. And that after, you know, literally after about a couple of years, a year and a half, I saw that it was starting to get into 50,000 more. And I was like, wow. So I decided to do a few more. And all of a sudden, I was putting one, putting certain ones up. Um, specifically, there were, there were a, a number of them. One was, why is it so hard to create a brand anybody gives a shit about? Yes, I use shit. So you may want to actually take your kids who are also listening to this, who want to be branders in the future, and have them leave the room. But, <laughs> but the, there's that one. There's the impossible brand formula. There's honey, I shrunk the brand. Um, and anyway, there's a, there's a variety of them. And all of a sudden, I would find that they would, these would get 24,000 views in, in 24 hours. Um, and they, this were exponentially just going crazy. So I, you know, I, that became kind of a, my drug. I was like, you know, this kind of feels a little cool. I'm, I'm kind of digging this. Not bad. And so that's kind of how that happened. And people, what I've noticed is that when I now speak to people, there's usually a courtship. Sometimes it takes them a while to realize what's the value that I bring to the table. Now, they've actually already courted me, unbeknownst to me, they've already done the courting. They've looked, and, and by the time they actually pick up the phone, they call me up. I am the expert. I'm the go-to person. I'm the person that is recommended by Fast Company or recommended by Damon John or recommended by Joanna Vargas, New York City's premier uh, skincare, celebrity skincare specialist. So they walk in the door knowing you're the go-to person. So it's changed that relationship. That, that's been a pretty exciting shift. So which was first, Fast Company Expert Blogger or were you doing your slide shares first? I don't remember. I think Fast Company, I, I, don't, I don't remember whether it was Fast Company first or, or, or SlideShare. I'm not positive. It was, it, it, they each go back probably five years or six years. So I'm not sure which came first, but um, the one thing I do know is that I came first before either of them, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which I know well, is I mean, incredibly insightful to 
all those people listening, they're going, wow, that really shed light on someplace where there was previously only darkness. <laughs> well, I think um, one of the things we were talking about before we started was how good you are at communicating. So companies now are coming to you because they've already seen how you're able to communicate and kind of put it into terms, not just for des other designers, but also for the for the brand itself. So you put it into words and you are communicating. And I think that's one of the hardest things for a lot of designers is to get that communication across of, hey, this is what we need to do and, and trust me. And so you already kind of have that established. But what would you say, how could um, designers who aren't as well known and don't have that expert kind of um, assigned to them yet, how can they get that across as they're in a meeting with a brand or something like that? Well, basically, what the, it's, it's a very, very simple lesson. It only took me about 35 years to learn it. No, about, about 25 years to learn it. But you can, if you pay close attention, you can learn it in the next two minutes. And if you don't have the same results, you don't have the same results as I did, double your money back. Um, Realize that the, the, the meetings and the jobs are not about you. <laughs> They're about the actual company. They're about, they have a problem. They're coming to you because they have a need. They're not coming to you because you're the hippest, you're the coolest, you're the grooviest, you, you're jiggy or anything like that. It's not, yeah, I mean, there's, and it's not, that is not in any way to slight talent. I, I'm all about talent. I mean, talent is vital. But talent alone isn't going to necessarily do it. It's a matter of viewpoint. The most important thing is, for example, I almost never, when I'm actually meeting with a company, I almost never have anything that I bring to show them. I show up and I talk about them. I, I already know what I can do. I don't have any doubt or uncertainty about what it is that I can do and bring to the table. So... But they don't know me. They also don't know their own problems. It's my job to right. help crystallize what is the problem that they're having. What what is the issue? I've had companies. I've had people say, "Hey, uh, you know, we our company needs a logo." I'm like, "Well, what's the problem you're running into?" Blah 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 blah. Well, actually, you actually need to define what your company is about first. Then we can talk about a logo because they think they think in terms of what's they what they know of. They can, people, clients can solve, if they were able to solve the problem, they wouldn't be calling you. Right. They're calling you because they can't solve the problem. If they can't solve the problem, then the facts that they know, some of them will be relevant to solving the problem, but obviously what they know is not helping them solve it. So talking about only what they know isn't the answer. You need to bring and complement what it is that they have observed. What's the problem? Are they losing market share? Are they pigeonholed? In other words, have they been a company that's been in business for 10 or 20 or 30 years? Um, and people don't know that they've actually evolved from 30 years ago. That They still have them doing that when that might now today only represent 20% of their business. And the other 80% has never really come into existence as something that their company is known for. Um, these are the kinds of questions that one has to talk about because otherwise you're talking about cosmetics. Oh, how do you like this? How do you like that? What color do you right. like? What color does your wife like? What color does your dog like? You know, 
<laughs> Does his tail wag when, when you actually show him, you know, slab surf versus actually, you know, sand surf? Well, how does it work? You know, then it be, then it's stupid. And right. since we're on the, and since we're on the topic of stupid, let me just make this one point. I refuse to work for companies that um, have committees, a team, two or three, that are designated to and, and a decisive team, not one that's sort of a second-guessing team. That's a, that's a committee because what the foundation, the the structure, and the model of a committee is. I'm going to express my viewpoint. What do you think? Good. I'm going to express my viewpoint, and everyone's going to sit there and debate for weeks, months, right. possibly a year, possibly longer. So I, I make that very clear that I don't do that because the thing is is that they don't know. It's your job to come in with expertise and know. And anyway, that so that, that's a bit of a long-winded answer, but that's that's that. And by the way, I don't know when you want, we're planning on giving some eye candy to uh, to the visitors that are with us today as far as showing any goodies, but whenever you want to do that, you let me know, and I'll okay. gladly explain and do whatever I need to do that you'd like me to do. Okay, that sounds great. So Gideon had a question about what kind of research goes into creating a brand. So before you go in, you're doing, I would assume, a good bit of research on the company to kind of figure out where maybe the the market sees that company and then you'll ask questions about what they where they want to go and we talk about that in uh in my questions that i sent uh, about the blind spot um and anything you think relates you just tell me and i'll pop it up so if there's an image that that you want to um bring up sure. tell me and i'll bring it up to hopefully um, help it sure well I, I gave you so many that 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 i, I that's, uh, I don't know how to, uh, well, for example, if you could find the uh, the peak energy, if you could find that one. Okay, yep. And here's how that this one works. Is, this, um, if this pops up and it's over David's face, you can, or over my face, you can um, drag your mouse off of it and then drag it back on it and then you can move it to wherever you want it. So it's not, it doesn't have to be stuck. And he just went to, um, Spinning mode. If did he is he there for anybody else? Maybe it's just my connection. Um, and if that ever happens, you can just well, hit I, refresh. Now you're back. I I, I see it. I, I see it over our faces, but I see it, and I, I know what I look like, and I know what you look like, so I'm comfortable with this. <laughs> that sounds great. But, but the basic thing is, like for example, this this just gives you a for instance. This is a company that is. They have they have chia based products, chia seeds, so that which have omega threes and good fiber and 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 sustainable energy. They actually are slow release energy. Now the company wanted to do something with regard to chia, and I said, well, how many people are actually searching for chia? Very very small audience. Why would you want to limit it to people that actually are looking for a very very niche market like that? When in actual fact, what we do know is that. Energy is an enormously popular category. I, just as an example, five-hour energy, which is sold in convenience stores, they sell about nine million of those bottles per week. Okay, ridiculous. Oh, but yeah. the thing is, is that this little thing, I think it's like sort of over three dollars for this little small bottle, and then you have Coca-Cola, which is much larger, and you know, 
shit cheaper. I mean, the, the profit margin, everything is just insane. The distribution channel was great. Naming was a strong thing. Five-hour energy. I mean, it lets, it lets you know, oh, wow, I'm going to have energy for five hours. Very, very clear. Anyway, the whole thing of this was to create an identity that was good, clean, that would stand out on the shelves. And that the, and so the whole thing was peak energy and the, the, that because we wanted it to be, how do we identify this? How do we quantify this? And peak, in terms of that, that was something that we wanted to do. And that became the naming. That became the look uh, the, with the guy leaping from the, from the you know, the stroke up on the K to the to the peak of the A, uh, it all just became a perfect uh, visual metaphor. But that was an example of doing doing some homework. If I followed them blindly and said, "Oh yeah, you want to name it? You want to name it like a you know, whatever? I don't know, Grandpa's uh, you know, really good uh, chia seed company," you know, that would be irresponsible. I would consider it irresponsible. But that's just an example of doing some of the homework that this now will work. This will work for that because it's what people want. You always want to connect what you're creating a brand for with value. Energy is probably energy and diet and weight loss are probably the three top uh, terms that one would ever find if one were looking into this category of, of nutritional items. So there you go. So Murali asked, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, what are the avenues for cost-effective brand engagement? What are the avenues for cost? Of, what does that actually mean? I'm not totally clear what that question is asking. Maybe what areas can you go for um, to get brands to get engaged that aren't super expensive? Maybe. Like where okay. can you go? Uh, what areas you can, I don't know. Um, maybe maybe write it in a different way, Murali. That would be good. And then we'll ask it again. What are the avenues for cost-effective branding? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if, if she's asking about if she's asking about like where what, where a company can go to get a cost-effective brand done. I think or I think to get engagement with the brand, like how can you advertise or where can you go? But maybe that's not what she's or he's meaning. To get well, well, how about that? Oh, she said correct. Okay, well as far I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer as far as where you can go for cost-effective brand engagement because um, I'm. In, I'll be candid. I'm. I'm. I'm in the business of providing value. There are there are companies that are more expensive. There are companies that are way cheaper because of the the proliferation of the internet. You've got you've got these little you know whatever, cheapy little services that offer logos. And a logo, by the way, isn't a brand. A logo is one part. That's an ambassador by which your brand becomes known, yes. But it is not. That's kind of like saying, oh, a tire is a car. No, right. that's one part. It does help the car move down the road, but it's not the entire car. <laughs> so, right. Uh, so... As far as cost, I would say I would say that what you want to look for is you want to look for companies. If you're if you're in the market looking for companies that are offer branding, is what are the what are the kind of results that they actually offer? What are the stories they tell? Do they basically have a philosophy that you agree with? Uh, there are some companies I wouldn't I wouldn't approach ever because they're just factories that just pound out formulaic crap. Um, and what you want is you want something that's really going to be, um, 
different, and let me let me uh, let me elaborate on this particular point. I'm going to talk about what is branding itself. Um, during an interview, a TV interview I had done, I think about two years ago, there was a question asked me, "Well, what is branding?" And I was looking at this and having talked with clients for many, many years, I, I, it actually it was kind of one of these moments that came to me, and it really came down to four words. And before I give you the four-word definition, I want to explain, branding is in a context. Branding is something that is done in a very noisy environment. Branding is something that is done where there is no singular brand. You, you're either competing against 10 other similar brands, or 20 others, 40 others, 1,000 others, that may be vying for the same audience. So Mrs. Jones here, or Mr. Smith over here, are being hit with all these messages, whether it's the packaging, whether it's billboards, whether it's online, wherever it is, they're being hit with all these messages. Now, amongst all of that noise, how are they to tell the difference between one and the other? Right. Because that's what, that's what consumers are actually craving. That's what they actually not only crave, but they actually demand. Because if I came to you and I said, you know what, here's a 16-ounce bottle of water, and here's a 16-ounce bottle of water, brand A, brand B. Um, and neither of those companies did a job of really differentiating it itself at all. But they just sort of said, oh, here's our 16-ounce, here's ours, and ours is great, and ours is the best. And on, here's ours, and ours is great, and ours is the best. And we use a great spring that's over down the block and whatever. But there really isn't a clearly stated, tangible distinction between the two. And so if I went to a consumer and I said, hey, I said, Diane, Here's a 60-ounce water for you or a 60-ounce water for you. Which one do you like to buy? And you look at it and you can't tell the difference. Bottom line is it goes, well, which one's cheaper? Because right. the consumer, and this, then that consumer goes on, a, whether it's on a consumer basis, on retail, online, or whether it's a business purchase, bottom line is it comes down to a value and differentiation. If there is no differentiation made on the part of the company doing the branding, that differentiation will be made for you by the consumer in the form of which one is cheaper because value has not been established. So with that as a preamble, the four-word definition for branding is the art of differentiation. That is what branding is. And if you align everything that you're doing to the factor of differentiation, not for just, just differentiation's sake, but give me a compelling reason. Why is it different? Why is, why is it better? Why should it matter? What are the bigger issues that it actually helps solve in the world today? What's the overriding trend of the same kind of crap that is, tends to be in almost every industry? Because I've branded cities, I've branded companies, I've branded magazines, I've branded music Grammy-winning musical artists. I've branded every one of those different types of scenarios, tech companies. So I can tell you experientially over the course of about 33 years, you're going to find, without exception, 95 or 98 percent of all companies are doing variations, their own spin on the same story. And that is not enough of a differentiation. You got to widen that gap. You got to make that differentiation enormous. Because, I mean, I you know I've done it for hot cocoa mix. I've I've done it for I've done it for watercolors that are ve vegetable based. You know we got we got you know it's like how do you make this thing stand on the shelf? Well. If that doesn't say watercolor right there, right there, right, you know at a glance 
when you see that on the shelf, what that is. It's watercolor, it's paints, it's like, wow. And then you learn a little bit more because the before didn't actually tell that story. Um, even another example, a local, this, this one's just plain old fun. A local, a guy, 64 years old, is retired, finally was going to live out his dream. He, he had a lifelong love affair with burgers, lifelong love affair, love affair with trains. And so he wanted to bring these two worlds together and have this really cool place. You go in and there were trains and burgers and all kinds of cool paraphernalia and stuff like this. And so he came to me and, now, I'm always up for a challenge. But here was my problem. My problem was, what's going to get people in the Midwest to be excited about one more burger joint? Mm. You know, I'm a native New Yorker. I'm originally from Brooklyn. So I, I moved out here. And yes, it is part of a witness protection program. Joking, just joking. <laughs> now, but the thing is, but if you tell anybody, I will have to kill you. <laughs> That's true. But the thing is, so what, what occurred is, is I'm looking at this and saying, how is this going to stand out? You've got the Burger Kings. You've got the McDonald's. You've got the, you, you got the uh, Wendy's. You've got uh, there's a, a chain out here called Culver's. There's a whole bunch of them. You've got all these things, plus the other little boutique places. How are we going to make this stand out? So I came up with a concept. The concept was basically this, and this is part of a whole, a whole thing, but this just shows you. This, was, this went out, this is a mailer, this is a little mailer. You see, this actually opens up like this. It's a little mailer, and this was sent out without any preamble, and when you opened it up, this is what it said. And again, remember, burgers and trains. <laughs> oh, that's great. Were you able to hear the uh, train? You ever, hear yep. this, the, you ever hear the sound, the sound effect? Were you able to hear the sound effect that went along with this? Yep. Cause, yeah, when you open it up, this is what you hear. So it's, oh, act, awesome. it's an actual, it's a sound card. So when people opened it up, the, the wonderful thing we found out that, that for every person that opened it up, they shared it with about 10 people. Because it, it, it yanked, it pulled their inner teenager. All of a sudden they were like, whoa, choo-choo. And of course, everybody, that's what they were calling it. We ended up with a new problem. The new problem was not only was the place going to be called, you know, Bridge Street Station is what the place was called, but not only that, but, but then and now we had to have two listings in the, in the yellow pages, Bridge Street Station and Choo Choo, because that's what people, all of a sudden, that was an instant hit. It was like Choo Choo, oh my God, because it said everything. But that's right. an example of solving that problem, because now all of a sudden, this is not going to be confused. This is all of a sudden in a totally different category than all the rest. It also also shows how the brand is not just the logo. It's the whole experience and how you took into consideration every little part that goes into it. Um, another yeah, one I, that I think... I oh, go ahead. I wanted to make a little scent on it so it could, so it could work as sort of a, you know, an, a, the deodorant. Uh, you know, I wanted to do the whole thing, but I digress. Please carry on. So the one one that I think is a neat um, is the sausage company. And so I'm just going to pull some of these up and... Can you talk about this piece a little bit? Oh, with the uh, with the wedge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah. You could you could you could flick through a few of these, but yeah, the wedge the wedge is uh, one of the largest co-ops in uh, Minneapolis, and then we were creating certain brand assets, and so I needed to create this series that really brought it together, where these would identify all of these custom-made sausages that they made on premise, and anyway, they they. I always loved these. I thought they were just terrific. Um, they had a wonderful continuity, but also a lot of fluidity. So, um, you know, handmade by the wedge. I mean, you know, 
two heads are obviously better than one without question. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's just the kind of thing where they were fun. They had a personality that were, that was a great identifiable, but in the midst of all that change, there still was, there still was the, uh, continuity that worked. And, uh, I, I always thought that that worked really well. And, and of course the, you know, the coffee, the coffee. None, no place is complete without coffee. That's that's my that's I'm sticking to that story. That's just the way it is, people. Well, you stuck <laughs> with a color palette. You had a uh, kind of a, a black, green, uh, orange kind of color palette, and then you just used them really well. You used silhouettes throughout the throughout the whole um, all of them, and then you also had, you know, the design the feel of the drawing was the same, but the words, the wedge, that type changed with every piece. Can you talk yep. about that a little bit? Because usually I would think most designers would be like, oh my gosh, so, but it, it works. So why, why does it work? Well, well, this goes back to another one of my, this was, this was something that came up, one of my phrases that I've used over the years. Um, it was when I had spoke, and uh, I had previously spoken in Toronto um, at a conference. It was the largest, largest group of people I had ever spoken to at that point in my career. Um, someone had asked me a question, and the answer was, "Rules enable you to follow; knowledge enables you to lead." And I'm, and I still, I love, I love that. Rules enable you to follow; knowledge enables you to lead. Rules are rules are what one uses, and are, they're they're necessary. They help. They keep things kind of in line, but they can also be crutches. You can't depend on rules. If you don't have the knowledge to complement, then you got then you're entirely dependent on rules. You don't have the insight to be able to judge. With knowledge, you actually know where things are fluid. What is sacred? What's not sacred? What actually will amplify the brand in terms of its impact and how it will work on the shelf in an environment because every every brand has a context every brand is it's either going to exist online it's some it, it's gonna where's going to come to life is it going to be something that's a shipping container a package that they take home is it something that hits them on the shelf what are the various ways that that the person interacts with the brand um, is it in a a positive uh, setting? Is it in one that's maybe a little more uh, alarming or business oriented that it isn't quite as sexy a, a setting, for example? Um, but those are but th those are some of the criteria that go into it. And in this particular circumstance, this enabled me to have that be the between the the, the animal that, that was being drawn and the typography in the, in the middle of it that seemed to just work as a, as it's really looking at it from the viewpoint of what's going to work in the setting that, that is going to exist. Cool. So, I mean, that was such a big piece and they were so, they were different, but they also really work together and it really does, it gives such value to the co-op and it makes, when people see the whole piece, they think, oh wow, that, that place is really established because they have their stuff together throughout their whole, and that really says a lot to me as a consumer about a company. And I think knowing that and being able to express that to the client is incredibly um, difficult sometimes, but it's incredibly important. So how have you been able to 
in fact, I was just going to I'm just going to interject because you just made a good a good key point that if you have the botanical bakery as far as the uh, the showing all the different colors and the lips, yep. that's a great one with regard to the point you just made because that has a, a, that shows all that variety, and when you look at that. Um, these are these are just examples um, of the actual package. You'll see that the lips the lips became the vehicle to say the actual flavor and the whole color coordination. So then it then it became then you started to see how they all came together and then it continued with these and these and it just this this was amazing. I mean, just as an example, as an example, this. The first year that these were unveiled, this this was a rebrand. The first year these were unveiled, the sales increased 300%, okay, over the previous year. And then the subsequent wow. year, it increased 300% again. So over 24 months, they saw a 900% uh, increase in sales with this rebrand because it was so unlike what was done in this category. Because if you know that, if you know the history, if you know the history of shortbread cookies. You know that it it it, it comes it has a British legacy, so it's you know it's drunk with tea you know it's sort of has a certain proper sort of manner and oh Lois how how are the children you know hello hello and you have all of this kind of stuff and so this was these were kind of in my earliest discussions I said well what as I began to learn a little bit about their company and their culture I said oh you're really kind of like shortbread cookies gone wild. And she goes, oh, yes. And so <laughs> I could just see a whole bunch of shortbread cookies on a spring break, and I don't, it's almost embarrassing. I almost feel violated just saying that to the people. <laughs> but it definitely gives a lot of life. And so what happens is the consumer, they definitely stand apart, which is totally what you were talking about. You're able to gain that leadership position. You're able to add value because you stand out and you differentiate between you and the others. So sometimes that's really hard for companies to do because they can't they can't see past what they want people to see them as. And you call it your blind the blind spot. Um, um, I think it's in one of your slide shares, and I'm trying to look. Um, but it says, you know, why are we as business owners so guilty of this misconception of our brand? And I think. You know, they had a clear idea, but everybody else in the industry was like very much more structured and not so fun. So how were you able to come in and kind of like, okay, so you're on shortbread cookies on spring break and they get it and then you're able to put it in there. It was it it started out as kind of that blind spot? Um well, I like to establish clearly up front who who the branding is being done for. And I'm very willing to draw a clear line in the sand between the normal preconceived ideas and then the ones that actually work. And so what happened in this particular circumstance, and, and I, I've done this in a room full of 40 people um, for, for one of the cities that we branded, which is uh, Menominee. You have the Menominee brand you'll see that that one, that was an interesting one. And in fact, behind me are these post, these posters here are part of the Menominee brand. I am um, and so the thing, the, the thing that I said is I said, look, the bottom line is I said the least important viewpoint 
in this room with regard to uh, this brand is yours. And I let that sit for about, and it let it sit in the air for about four seconds, knowing that I may this may be the last words that I speak on this earth. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then I had informed them, and then I waited four seconds. Then I said, as well as mine, I I said the most important viewpoint with regard to this brand are the viewpoints outside of the four walls of this room. It's not what you think, and it's not what I think. And it's not a matter of making it prettier. It's not a cosmetic exercise. It will look better, but it's not a cosmetic exercise. Knowing the tools one's using, one will arrive there. But it's not. that's not the trajectory. Let's just make it look better. Let's just make it prettier. Let's add this swatch. Let's add this. Da, da, da. I mean, I, can, right. I have all those skills to do all that, and that's not a problem. That's not the issue. The issue is, out there, there's a noise level. And in this particular circumstance, we had I had to develop a brand that would drive tourism. And the amazing thing about this particular brand was that in the 12 months that followed the launch with regard to posters, and uh, and I think if you can find, I, I might have included, I, I don't know if I included a um, the little pouches that, 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 that they look like sort of little pouches that for ladies' night out, I, I may or may not have included that. but the brand here resulted in a 500% increase in the 12 months that followed the launch of this. Wow. So five times the amount of people walked in because we clarified. Because what was happening, here's an, another example just to help the listeners. I looked at seven different cities, surrounding cities, that were targeting the same nearby audience. All of them were using, they were using a photograph. They were taking a picture of a trail, a leaf, a beautiful tree, maybe a lake. Now, here's the deal. Wisconsin, okay? I have the advantage of being not from Wisconsin, so I can kind of have an a, a, a unprejudiced eye, like an open mind. People outside of Wisconsin don't need to be reminded that Wisconsin has vegetation. That's not, a re that's not a compelling reason to come and say, you know what, I love their leaf, we're going to that city. That's not right. the exact reason. So what ended up happening, and in fact, uh, hold on one second, I might have it here. Oh, you are so lucky. You're so lucky. Here's, here's the actual, here's the actual, um, this, instead of showing pictures of just le nature and stuff like that, this was this was done where it, we had a, a, a theater shot. We had, we did have a, a picture of nature, but we had we had girlfriends smiling. We well, let me see if I can get it here. There we go, a little bit. So we have we have we have people engaged. We have when in doubt, we down here. You see right there. That's a truffle, great chocolatier in this town. And so when in doubt, if you ever want to increase the sales of anything, just put chocolate near it. Everything will go much better. <laughs> Well, uh, that, um, was, but that was an example. And so a lot of cities have pulled pulled you in, but you also have done chocolate. <laughs> so oh, this one chocolate. is I, I... this one is beautiful, and it definitely shows your range. And I think that that must be one of the things that keeps you don't have just a particular style that keeps people. Oh, I want you to do that, which 
speaks to your success for 35 years because you're not just fitting into this one hole. You're really filling the need and getting the value that comes out. Um, we'll have to kind of go through some of these because we only have 15 minutes left, but I want to pull some other stuff. Do you want to talk about the chocolate at all? or? Um, well, you why don't you why don't you uh, why don't you th th pull up legacy because legacy sh there should be some goodies for legacy I think as well. Yep. And and uh, why why don't you what why don't you ask me as well as as well as uh, the listeners any questions that are burning questions I will gladly I will gladly answer. What, so how do you oh, determine? I see, I see, hold on I see Joe Cicliano I've Joe hey Joe and Deborah Deville. Joe Cicliano from Long Island and Deborah Deville from Jersey. Yo, yo, yo! So <laughs> I've known these guys for 20, 30 years. So pretty, oh, pretty awesome. wild. Well, thanks for coming. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled that they can so make with, it. But with Legacy, you really stood out because of. And if you guys read any of, he has a ton of articles on his site, which I'll put up in a little bit. But you really took a different approach color wise here can you talk about that and why it worked totally i'll tell you i'll tell you in the in the most brief way i can again this was an the this was started out with an analysis having been in the having done work in the cosmetic uh industry i saw that gourmet chocolatiers were all following one particular principle which which is really comes from the cosmetic world which is have your packaging have an aura of, of wonderfulness, but communicate nothing. That's actually what they do. You know, it's a, has a look, has a feel, has a smell, da, 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 but say nothing. But the thing is, is that was in direct contrast to this other fact. Foodies love information. Foodies love to know, oh, what makes that different? What makes that better? What makes that smell better? What makes that taste better when it gets in my mouth? They love to know these things. So in direct contrast to what everybody else was doing, this color palette that worked beautifully as far as the, that that particular blue against the 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 replicated craft paper, and there was a tone of fun. Like one of the lines that I created for this was, um, "May cause chocolate envy, share responsibly." And but I included different facts. Why does certain chocolates um, is it food or is it candy? Why do certain chocolates actually create a a, a feel of on your tongue, and does that a certain feel, and does that reflect a a quality chocolate or an inferior chocolate? These little little tidbits, very short little bits, little points in history. All those were done, and people loved them. And the objective was to make this an instantly giveable item that you could instantly gift it to another. And it just did that in spades. The amazing thing about this rebrand was it was done in June. And I then at the end of the month I said how how did it do because I wanted to know and all they did in, in, with this was they put the packaging on the back counter, that was it. There were no new flavors, there were no new prices, there were no new hours, no new promotions, no new signage, no new personnel, nothing, no change. Only difference wow. was the packages were sitting on the back counter. These boxes. At the end of the month, the sales of truffles literally three xed. They sold 300% in terms of the amount of troubles just in the existing people that routinely routine customers. Wow. And then the next That's the awesome. next month it was unbelievable. And then after this that was that was the end of June. The end of July I went I said how did it go in this month? That exceeded July exceeded June. And then I went at the end of August found out not only did August exceed July but August exceeded February. February, Whoa. at which 
which way I'm going to do my special echo effect. February, February, February. That's amazing. <laughs> Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day. <laughs> so John so asked amazing. a question. Do you believe that corporate social responsibility is important to branding? Corporate social Being, responsibility. Are we talking in terms of like sustainability and, and from that standpoint? Is that? I, w I would if, think if so. If we're talking about that, yeah, I mean, yes, I do consider it. I okay, great, thank you, John. I do consider that that is uh, important in terms of a brand, but but I also at the same time consider that it's it is um, it can be on brand for some companies and it can be off brand for other companies. Meaning that uh, if a company is, I don't know, it, some some companies it's going to be a very linear connection. It's going to be very obvious where those dots connect. Others, it might seem like a bit of a stretch. So it actually might seem so much of a stretch that it almost seems to be unauthentic. So that's where I see from the standpoint of how one utilizes that in their brand messaging. That's a, a point that I would take into consideration. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some of your incorporation of typography. And you've done such great stuff. And I'm just going to pull up some that I think are really neat. And this one kind of starts more with um, imagery, but imagery as type, um, which I think is really clever. So can you talk about a little bit why, you know, why you chose that, what the type says about the company, things like that? Well, th this, well th this was actually a self-assigned just exercise because I just, it hmm. just seems so obvious to me that it, I just embraced it and, and, uh, it, and thankfully it speaks for itself. I, not, not a lot to really add to that. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I I think I mean I think that one of a um, I know there are some other professors in here, and I know that one of the things that we talk about is just how type really does influence how we see something. So this is because this type is so big and round, it's very approachable. But then you also feel like it gives you something. So I really like this piece. Then there's your Art Deco stuff, which I think is um, beautiful. Yeah, that was it, it. Was just it was an exercise. It was an exercise in in a, a couple. A couple of these are, are just labors of love, which this one is as well. Whereas New York City Ballet was not, which I which I know would probably fall into one of the one of the ones you pull. But the I, I loved I loved just seeing what could be done because Art Deco is such an interesting uh, era of design that the idea of taking a single stroke and, and linear and just treating it with just the little elements that are customarily part of that genre uh, was it was uh, fun New York City Ballet the whole thing there was uh, this was early in my career and it really was I loved the simplicity of how it all worked together and I loved the fact that you did not have to speak a word of English to understand what this was about you knew it was you knew it was about a city and you knew that it was I mean the legs just worked beautifully and and I just love how this is one of those timeless ones you just go of course you know well, what about crescendo? Is that another exercise, or is that um, was that for a company? Crescendo was another exercise because what happens is I have I have an embarrassingly enormous um, uh, collection of of fonts as well. Besides customizing letters and customizing uh, for logos and such, I also have an exhaustive uh, repertoire because it's just it's kind of like having. It's kind of like these guitarists that you hear that have 45 guitars. Which one's the right one for 
to help their, ex their expression in particular songs. And, and as I'm creating a brand vocabulary, because a brand must speak on numerous levels, um, this is one I had come across, and I just thought, I, I loved the radiance of, the, of each letter. And I thought, how, how brilliant is that? And then I started looking, oh, there's, there's a lot to it. And, and I just kind of went and saw, you know, this could actually be just a beautiful communication. That was, that was, a, that was literally that exercise. Well, I love that one, and I like how it how it starts soft and then it gets louder, and which is exactly what a crescendo is. So it it does it with the type, and I think it's always nice to when you can solve it simply, it's always better. So here's another one, the cleavage. Yep, cleavage was done for 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 anybody who's lived in a, lived under a rock and doesn't know Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian is known for her ample assets, and um. And so, given that she has built a brand pretty much based on that, um, and just her curvy figure, in one of my Fast Company uh, articles, I had written, I had done a, uh, I had written an article on a brand. What you know, what if Kim were to, to leverage these assets into an actual brand, rather than it sort of being sort of roundabout, but it actually just like let's just be right there, um, in your face, so to speak. And so the, I, I was. Looking at this concept and develop this concept and the whole thing about cleavage and uh, and uh, and it was and it was a fun it was a perfume concept that I I really enjoyed because I think one of the headlines that I created for an ad was uh, the, the the fragrance that says Hey my eyes are up here. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So it's just it was just real tongue in cheek. I like it, but it's also um, a, it's it, for people who are looking like I know Ann Ford. You're on a iPhone app or an iPad, and you can't see the visuals, so it's not as it's not just a bunch of boobs. So it actually makes it a little bit more classy than just simple. But there's really nice shape, and it definitely you'll have to go through to the Flickr account and look at them. So how, what about this? Is this one a exercise, or is this for something? This was this was a um, this this is for a, a blog this is for a blog post and uh, and again it was it was an interesting exercise where the where the actual shape of the letters really I, I loved how it worked in the folded paper um, and again this was this was this didn't solve a business problem this was more a matter of a conceptual solving the conceptual problem. And Anne, I'm so thrilled that you're going to look at it later because Anne, I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think you'll, I think it'll rock your world. Just make, just make sure, don't do it too close to sleeping because you'll probably be, your imagination will go wild. You, won't, you may not sleep for a few hours and then you'll write me a hate mail. <laughs> oh, Jacob um, Dean, what's he say? So any chance of talk about how the goal of branding and advertising in general is to create a uniformed consumer making irrational decisions? Do you have... So you have oh, to do your no, homework. Oh, create, create uninformed consumers uninformed. making sorry. So wait, is it, so wait, any chance talk about how the goal of branding and advertising in general is to create uninformed consumers making irrational decisions? So, so are Jacob? I'm not a hundred percent. I'm not a hundred percent. So, are you saying that the that the goal of branding in, in general is to create? So we're just pushing ideas to people, maybe. Um, so that he's saying that really. You know, a consumer really has to do their homework to figure out 
Sorry, so, Jacob, yeah, I'm so reading that. That we as branders have to do our homework to outsmart them, or, or the consumers have to do their homework? Jay, Jacob, which, which way are you going with this? Uh, it's Naomi Crumbs' point. Noam Shomsky's point. Oh, consumers, consumers have, have to... Homework. Okay, so, well, put, well, the bottom line is, is... You know, uh, uh, this is a personal philosophy point that a life well lived is one that's actually aware. So I never take anything at face value. So uh, I know that I'm, I'm always trying to be sold something or be engaged in something. And that's not a negative thing. It's like, it's okay. We exist. You know, we all exist. And, and we're looking to share ideas or whether, whether you're dealing with friends who are like, hey, I just saw my favorite movie. That's an example of sharing an idea or, or a salesperson saying, hey, this is the greatest blah, 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 which point I say, well, why is it the greatest blah, 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 blah? You know, so I, I kind of wear a different coat depending on what type of setting. Uh, but even so, even if a friend were to enthusiastically recommend something, I've had friends tell me, this is the best chocolate truffle I've ever had and I taste it and I spit it out because it tastes like crap. So I have to kind of make my own adjudication. So the best life so lived is one, one that's... Uh, done responsibly <laughs> so joe asked um the best thing to do is find something special about your company and promote it well put it well all right joe dude hey dude all right so here's the thing joe the answer to that is this every one of you every one of your competitors is also trying to find out the, that special thing every one of them is also at the same time saying hey this is you know, we're great we have great customers, customer service personnel. We're very knowledgeable. We've been around for X amount of years. These types of things are the things that everybody's pitching. So you, for you to now pitch it isn't enough. The thing you have to look at, you have to step outside. Your question centers around you and your company, which I understand. That's a normal response of, a, of, of companies, whether they're big or small. doesn't matter. But the thing is you have to look inside and say, okay, what are the needs and problems of your customers and how can you actually talk about solving that in a way that your competitors aren't that's the actual better question that you really want to answer is like what do they come in to solve what's the frustration that they're dealing with with this stuff in general so that's the that you have to take a bigger broader look like if like if you're looking at if you remember some years ago People, you know, people generally hate car salesmen, right? Just for the, no other reason that they have a bad reputation. They're pushy, they're this, they're that, the other. Right. So years ago, there was a there was a campaign like, hey, come into our showrooms, no pushy salesmen, da 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 da. That was the way they differentiated themselves, right? So they made it a safe environment to shop. So it's from that viewpoint that you want to find what's the thing that you can do that nobody else is doing. What's the thing that this, the need that you can satisfy that nobody else is satisfying? Hopefully that helps. Well, and how do brands, and then I'll get to John's question, how do brands find that loyalty that people will not, you know, like, I mean, I grew up in Atlanta, so I'm a Coke product girl. I do not drink Pepsi products. So, but why, you know, is that so ingrained in me? If they have Pepsi, I'll just have water. Thank you. You know, why, how can you create a brand like that? And that is, does it just take time or what is it about it that, makes us so loyal well 
as far as what makes us so loyal, obviously there's there's a there's a continuity. That, uh, in your circumstance, you're talking about there's, there's like a hometown pride almost, right? Well, in the so, South, it's very, um, you know, I would say, I don't know, Anne, you'll have to tell me if you think Virginia's like this, or John, I know they're both in Virginia, but, you know, to me, um, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, we're all kind of Coke people. Tennessee and so it's funny you know when I lived in Colorado it wasn't like that I mean that was some places had coke and some people places had Pepsi and I know some some of it was just that the the brand had kind of become that leader in that area but there's like uh, there was something a post or something on Facebook where it's those drawings that look like old people and it was the girl somebody the waitress said oh no we don't have uh, pep we don't have coke we only have Pepsi in the lady looked back and said, oh, well, do you take Monopoly money? You know, she's like, will that be okay? And she said, oh, no, we, do you take Monopoly money? Which I thought was so funny. Um, but to me, it's that I understand some of it has to do, but there are brands, other brands. I know I buy Band-Aid, even if it costs better than there used to be a brand, and maybe there still is, called Curad, and it was green. And, you know, there was, there, there's so much I just trust. And I think some of it has to do with, your exposure and the brand's exposure to you as a as a individual and how much you were you know invested in that it was trusted it's a trusted product goes back to which is exactly what people have because they find you on slideshare or whatever doing all the stuff that you do in the fast company stuff the slideshare stuff you're just giving away but what that does is bring loyalty to you and expertise and experience as well as trust, you're a trusted entity. And I think it's something that we can do. We definitely need to di differentiate, but because you've been there and you're sharing, I think that that also helps companies to differentiate and builds trust. Yeah, it's true. I mean, obviously, trust isn't something that's built on a one-incident basis. You have to have continuity. Uh, that goes for, for any brand. If a brand has too many potholes in terms of like, oh, they missed the mark times that diminishes that dilutes the trust factor because um, what is trust any the trust is not nothing more than really that degree of predictability that this will meet my expectations and this will actually match the values that I have um, on, a, on a predictable basis so you know it, it, how does one build it you know it's it's through continuous action it's through uh, it's through enough of the dots connecting so that you're not sounding like you know like something hip hop where you're getting jiggy over here and over here you're sounding conservative and over there you're sounding corporate and over there you're sounding this. You know, what's what's your deal? Take a firm stand. Take a firm stand. Right. And I'd, ra I'd rather you be something that I don't agree with consistently than be this this month, that next month, and that next month. That would be just terrible. I feel like Miller High Life did that a few years ago when they had, you know, the big guy and he was like, they were charging $20 at the door and he was like, what are you doing? This isn't Miller High Life, you know, and he came and pulled all the beer out because he's like, look, we're not about that. And he, you know, he would go in convenience stores and he really established that brand as like for the regular people. We're not like frou-frou-y and I know that it built a ton, but it was also, it had to do with exposure. They had a bunch of different ads that out at the same time and I know some people had never ever tried it it is one of the cheapest beers out there but now it has brand loyalty that it didn't have before even though it had been around for forever 
You just went into the spinning mode. Oh no. And I know we're all going over, guys, so I appreciate the, the extra time. Okay, you're back. I, 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 I despinned. <laughs> Yay. That was, and what a weird sensation to have that occurring on my face. I, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> but so, was I there guess... a yeah, I, I totally track what you're saying about that. I mean, it's, uh, you know. Uh, I, I, I'm not a beer drinker, so I don't have a lot, lot to share, shed light on with regard to Miller. But I know, I know what you're saying. I mean, they, I think they've, they've definitely fortified themselves as, a, as a beer of choice amongst a specific demographic, without question. Well, um, I know that you had, you and I had some great conversations about rebranding. I'll have to have you back on, David, because I know that that's like a whole entity in itself. I will, and for sure, and David will just schedule one because I think rebranding can be its whole whole nother entity and it's so critical but it's it's just like the thing Miller did uh, with that they were had been around for forever but then they did this rebrand so can you kind of go step by step or is there is it too too long to go step by step and tell us your process well let me based on the time let me give you the better answer okay the better answer I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a link Okay, great. Because because I did, I did a I did a, a slide share that was specifically dedicated to this, and it is called it is called how to rebrand. Nineteen questions to ask before you start. That probably is the best, and uh, and because the one thing I want people the one thing I want people to do, um, and I'd love to chat with you as well. Just uh, you know. Just the thing I would do is here. I'm going to do He two has things. a newsletter. You can sign up, and I'm going to pop some of these things. Also, you can follow him at David at David Breyer on Twitter, which I also have. I'm going to put up. Um, and I just and I just put in the chat. I just put my email. So and you can and and anybody else, you're more than welcome. You can email me directly. But you definitely want to. You definitely. I would recommend if you're into branding, if you enjoyed this, I would highly recommend to. Go to our website at risingabovethenoise.com. That's rising above the noise. Thank you, Deborah. I love you too. Yo, baby. <laughs> but, um, but risingabovethenoise.com. If you go there, you know there's a, there's a you could get lost in there. There's a, not lost in a bad way, but just immersed. It's like a theme park. Don't 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 go there with like two minutes. You'll hate me. Um, go there. Go there with a little time on your hands. Um, but yeah, it's just it's great. You can go there. You'll see subscribe in the top right. You'll subscribe. You'll get occasionally, maybe maybe a couple times a month, you'll get uh, notifications of a new blog post or this and that the other. Um, and if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see some of the various spontaneous things that occasionally occur there. And if you're into espresso, you should definitely follow me. If you're into chocolate, you should definitely follow me. If you enjoy good food, you should definitely follow me. If you like branding, you should definitely follow me. And if you just love looking at Diane while I ramble, you should also follow me. Those are definitely at least five there's compelling a, reasons. There's a couple other ones that I wanted to put on that were great. Um, they, these were links that I want to share that he had sent to me. This is um, 50 Shades of Crema, and it's a link to a specific um, uh, with coffee branding. And then there's the Botanical yeah. Bakery, and it has a bunch of images as well. Um, the Botanical the, Bakery is a great example. Rebranding. That's a terrific rebrand uh, case study. That's the one you'll love. And then the city of Acello, or I'm sure I missed. Oh, 
Osceola. City of Osceola. That's a, a Midwest, Osceola. Midwest city, and that shows their branding. And that's that's a great that's a good a good example of a rebrand. It's a dramatic change. And then the Coco Polo chocolate. And so those can Coco give you some Polo chocolate. Yummy chocolate. Yummy chocolate that actually is sweetened with stevia, but it's actually the first chocolate that has no stevia aftertaste. It actually is great, but it shows you the before and after. The before and after will blow your mind. Oh, cool. And I hope you guys have enjoyed it. David will have to definitely have you back. Um, definitely you'll get you some of that chocolate. I am Sanchez, so that'd be awesome. Um, well, there's just such an array, and you have such a great um, wealth of experience and knowledge so thank you so much for coming i'll email you and we will get back and i'll have you back on hope maybe we could do it in december or something yeah absolutely it'll be my pleasure thanks thanks for having me and thanks for all those who are hanging out and thanks to old friends who hung out new friends who have yet to meet but loved it and uh and just hey all i can say is never settle for mediocre chocolate go for it you deserve it <laughs> And if you never want to miss an episode, you can always follow me at, at Design Recharge or at Diane Gibbs AU. Or you can join our Facebook group or follow me on Instagram. You can always sign up. You can never miss an episode. If you sign up for my um, email newsletter, I'll email you twice a week. That's it. Um, telling you about what the episode is. And then I give you, if you sign up, you get all the questions beforehand. So you kind of get an inside look, which nobody else gets that. So... Come back next week and every Wednesday, except four Wednesdays a, a year, I take off. But every Wednesday at 2.30 Eastern Time, 11.30 Pacific. So, David, thanks so much. And we'll have you back on. And I'm super excited to have you back because we, we could go another hour. But I know you don't have that much time. So, thank, thank you guys for all showing up. And thanks for the great questions. And we'll see you next Absolutely. time. Thank you. And thank you, Diane, for hosting me. And I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Of course. Awesome. Thank you.